This podcast is in partnership with Jess Education, the leading education conference and exhibition in the region. Visit www.gessseducation.com to hear previous subcasts if you've missed them. And now, on to the show. Hey, STEMcasters, it's time once again for our STEM chat. I'm your host, Latif Al-Khalifa, checking in on how you guys are doing. It's really hard to believe that we're over a year into the COVID-19 disruption, right? And things have been extremely dramatic in unprecedented fashion, but thankfully, we're still here. And I don't know about you, but on the upside, the COVID-19 disruption has actually opened up new pathways for me, among them, this very podcast. I hope it's done the same for you in one way or another. Today, we have someone whose work in online education is highly relevant to the needs of the times. Dropping out of high school, but not for the reasons you might think, mind you, en route to a richly challenging career, Our guest worked as a researcher at the MIT Playful Journey Lab. She's a student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and a two-time teaching fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to speak today with Aditi Parekh. All right, Aditi, welcome to the STEMcast podcast. I'm excited to have you here with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let me just ask you, if you were to briefly introduce yourself, how would you go about doing that? Sure. Um, I have a little bit of trouble with this because there are so many different identities, but I am a leadership coach and an educator. I grew up in South of India and I've had uh, an interesting time experimenting in education, first on myself and then on a lot of other people. Uh, It started out with uh, dropping out of school when I was 15 in India. And that set me off on a series of explorations of things that I wanted to learn and ways in which I wanted to live and change the world. Um, And so uh, we'll probably get into that a little bit later, but uh, one thing led to the other, I studied social science in college. Um, a sprinkling of different kinds of courses and volunteering and interning, uh, guided by this goal of wanting to understand India, uh, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that led to uh, doing some research in education because we're looking at all of these programs and I was wondering, how do you know what's working and what's not? And so at some point I was really obsessed with the question of impact and measurement. That then took me to Harvard Graduate School of Education where I did a master's in international education policy. I didn't end up doing much policy, a bit of measurement, and uh, accidentally stumbled upon leadership training uh, with Professor Marshall Gans. And um, the whole premise is based on the fact that, uh, you know, leadership is not a trait, it's a practice, and people everywhere are taking responsibility to uh, achieve shared purpose uh, with whoever their people are. And there are ways in which we can sort of bring that purpose out, get people to tell their stories, organize as communities, and move forward. Um, and finally, like the last uh, sort of avatar that I have is that uh, I teach, I teach these things, I teach online. And I'm really interested in uh, pedagogy, which is how we can teach anything. I, I don't care what you want to teach. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing what I can do to help you teach that in a way that respects any learner, helps them move forward from wherever they are to wherever they want to go. And do it in a way where everyone feels connected, not just with their heads to each other, but really with their hearts and uh, form great relationships. So that's a little bit about me. More than a little bit. I think there's so much to dissect there, honestly. But if I were to take you back, let's say, you know, start of your journey, uh, you said your, you know, your, your childhood was in India. So what was that like for you growing up in India? Yeah, uh, I think this is a great question because even when we do the leadership storytelling, we always tell people like, you might have made your choices later on in life, but the seeds come from way back. Uh, And so my childhood was growing up in a small town in the hills in India, uh, in a joint family with 25 people. Uh, And so we were all lots of different cousins, mostly in the same age group living together. And the whole house was just, you know, one series of activities, so much noise, one after the other. 
Um, and so I grew up in that environment, uh, in a very social environment, first of all. And I think that explains some of why I love being around people. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Um, I was generally, I think, a curious child. Uh, I used to ask, uh, I was very interested in spellings. I was very interested in why uh, things were the way they were. I used to ask a lot of questions. And I remember my parents making time for this uh, from very early on. Uh, you know, those potty seats that we have, uh, some people use them, some people don't, but like, I have a picture, I think, of myself sitting on that, reading the newspaper, asking my father when I was four or something, you know, what does this mean? Uh, and uh, they encouraged it. I had like a little bulletin board in my room, which was, uh, you know, a showcase of things that I was interested in doing. Um, and even though I grew up, I think, with a lot of cousins and a lot of people, um, I enjoyed time on my own. I used to love building these card castles, making making charts, um, just kind of coming up with new projects, I would say. And, and that hasn't changed, uh, thankfully. Um, so I think those are some of the things that were part of my childhood. And I'm really lucky and privileged that uh, my parents supported that. And enough, enough adults around me supported that, uh, whether I wanted to dance, whether I wanted to uh, learn about a certain thing in the city. Uh, or in the town, um, there was just always help and uh, and someone being like, okay, you know what, you want to go try it out. And because it was a small town, there was some sense of safety in allowing for that exploration, which is something that I kind of miss seeing in, in today's world. And so um, just recently, as I've been thinking about, okay, you know, where did the seeds of who I am come from? These are some of the things that come to mind. So thank you for asking that question. No, and thank you for sharing, because I love asking that question. I think it tells so much about you know, the person we end up becoming, and like you rightly pointed out. And, um, I, you know, there are a lot of similarities in terms of just things that you said about, you know, your own upbringing. And I feel like, yeah, no, that, that was kind of something that, you know, my parents as well gave me that freedom to be able to explore and, and do things. And so now, you know, I'm thankful for that opportunity, because I, I recognize that not a lot of people have that privilege of, you know, being given the opportunity and the trust to just mm -hmm. do things and, you know, explore your, you know, your personality. If, you know, if you, if you like something for some time, great. If, you know, if you want to change your mind about it, that's great too. Um, so I think that's really important, but you mentioned something in your intro about, you know, you dropping out of school might be, uh, you know, a big shocker, let's say for our listeners. So walk yeah. us through your decision. Like what, was there a specific point in which you said, okay, this, you know, this schooling system is not working out for me, or did you have a different reason as to why you decided to opt out from traditional uh, schooling? Yeah, so, um, so I had this childhood, and then my parents felt like I could do with a little more challenge, a little more exposure. So I went to this boarding school called Rishi Valley School, which is uh, another elite boarding school, uh, very alternative school founded by Jay Krishnamurti, who's a um, philosopher, who's at up many different schools around the world. Based on a simple philosophy that, uh, that children, as much as adults, and especially more than adults, should be asking their own questions and going after them. And uh, you can call it learning from first principles, but really unconditioning from what society teaches you and tells you. And at the time, I didn't understand what that meant. I just thought this was a cool guy and all oh, we had to be rebellious and we had to question everything our teacher said and did. Um, so I, I might have worked too much on the side of that. <laughs> but I think that left an impression. It left an impression to ask questions of why the world was the way it was. And so after three years in boarding school, I came back uh, home to be with my parents uh, and spend at least a little bit of time growing up with my younger brother because we have, we have, a, uh, we have a big age gap. And so I thought, okay, everyone said, you'll go out for college and all of that. You guys won't really overlap otherwise. So I came back home for that and went to a very traditional school again. Um, so these were, uh, in India, there are uh, schools in the secondary, in the senior secondary stage, which is 11th and 12th grade. Uh, we basically have streams of subjects. We have the commerce stream. Um, we have the science stream. And we have the humanities stream. So I really wanted to do humanities, but it wasn't available in the school that I went to. So I did commerce. And it was pretty regimented learning. You were looking at these textbooks. And it was very clear and accepted by everybody that the goal was to understand. Sorry, I will not always say understand. was to memorize what was in these textbooks, understand the ways in which your exam questions were to be solved. And everybody just works towards that. Uh, 
you can call it a religion if you want, right? Uh, and this was different from the way it was done in my boarding school. And I, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't change schools at that point. So I just ask, started asking the question out of curiosity, why is it like this over here? Why is there such a culture of fear? Why is there such a culture of conformity? Why can I not pause and ask what this means and why this is relevant to what we are doing? And I was met with a lot of resistance. Like nobody asks, nobody likes asking, uh, being asked these questions when there's a very clear goal, right? Why are you taking time away from this? And so I started reading about these philosophers a little bit more, J. Krishnamurti, and then that went on to Ivan Illich, uh, John Holt, Maria Montessori. And I was like, oh, they look at the world and they look at learning in a completely different way. Uh, and school may or may not be part of that. Uh, eventually I found uh, a community of people who had learned and who were learning completely without school. So this was the unschooling community. And uh, I, I, did the, I did the 15 year old version of cold emailing people, just finding their blogs and saying, hey, I'm, I'm this person in India, I really don't like school. Uh, what can I do? Do you think I can leave? And nobody gave me an answer. They just said, here are some resources you can look at. You can think about these things. And it's obviously a conversation you need to have with your parents. And that set off a six month long negotiation with my parents. And I said, look, I'm not happy here. Uh, and eventually it was dismissed as, um, as, as frustration that any teenager feels in school, right? Uh, nobody likes doing exams. Uh, this is the first time you're actually being asked to work hard. Uh, because your college entrance uh, depends on, a, on this. So for a while I was dismissed, but I kept on with it. And I said, look, look, this, it's not just that I don't want to work hard. It's not that I can't do it. It said, I think there are better ways of doing this. And this is actually a terrible waste of time. And I don't want to be a part of it. And thinking back, I'm like, gosh, how could I be so arrogant? <laughs> Everybody's doing it. They turned out fine. Uh, and this was my parents' reaction at first. They said, you know, we turned out fine. Um, people around you have turned out fine. All the people you count as your role models, they all turned out fine. They came from the schooling system. So why don't you just stay put, finish 11th and 12th grade. You can go to college and then you can do whatever you want, right? You can begin to choose once school is done. But until then, do what is told, is the message that I received. Uh, I tried, I really tried, uh, but I couldn't. And so at some point I said, look, I, I can't do this. I have a plan. Um, and I remember writing this long letter to my father, this five page long letter where I said, here's my plan. I will do my exams through open schooling. So you don't have to worry about me uh, not having a certificate to move forward if I choose to do college. I have these people who have agreed to be mentors and role models, uh, mentors and sort of accountability buddies for me right? Uh, you are one of them as well. Um, because look, I'm not doing this because like, I don't like you guys, or I don't respect you guys. It's just I think there is a better way. And I want to bring you along with me on this journey. I'm ready for the loneliness. I'm ready that I may have to figure things out on my own. Just let me try. And if and if it fails, I'm ready to go back to school. But just just give me give me a chance. Let me see how this goes. And so they thought about it for a while. Uh, we had some unpleasant dinner conversations. Uh, but for some reason, I felt like I, I can't give up on this. This feels too wrong a way to live for me. Um, and so eventually they agreed um, with, with some help from different people who, who agreed to kind of watch over me in case I, you know, went and became some, uh, some completely useless person uh, who was not doing anything, which was the fear everybody had. Um, and I was asked, I remember at that point, I was asked things like, oh, so, so are you going to follow religion? Are you going to get married at all? Like, do you believe in nothing that society has, uh, that society deems normal for people? And I said, no, I, I mean, all of that stuff is totally fine. I'm just saying you need to question things and you need to choose what makes sense for you. With education, my path may be radical, uh, but just hear me out. Like, just give me a chance. And like, we have a plan A, we have a plan B, we'll figure it out. Uh, and so this is where I think the trust that my parents had always given me played such a huge role in them being able to say, yes, let's go ahead and do this. And it wasn't just like, okay, you go do whatever you want because I'm frustrated with you. But they were actively involved in a way that I think they weren't in school because we were all trying to figure this out from scratch. And so that year was really amazing, um, I think, in the learning that it got for me because I was doing campaigns, I was uh, learning things from uh, sources rather than 
textbooks alone. I was interning with people. I was apprenticing with them. If I found a cool person in my city, I would just go say, you know, I'll, I'll bring coffee for you if you want to read it. Just let me be around you and learn from you and learn how you do things. And um, again, like the willingness of people to support me in that journey, even though they were just seven or eight people, it made all the difference for me in that year to be able to like go ahead and do all of these activities uh, for six, seven months and then sort of move on to doing my studies while doing the exams. And um, I did well in the exams. I topped the country. And so that was a huge point of validation for everyone. And they were like, oh, you're not a completely lost cause. Uh, because the thing is, I was good at school and everyone thought, you know, she's, she's going to be fine. My uncle was like, oh, she will go to Harvard Business School. But when I left school, he stopped talking to me because he said, you have ruined all our dreams. And I said, just, it's okay. Like, I, I don't want to go right now. If I change my mind, I'm sure I'll find a way to go. So, so I think that year was really um, more than the learning uh, in terms of like what I learned uh, academically. The learning that comes from putting yourself out there in believing in something when nobody around you does. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt that courageous before uh, or after. Uh, I really, that, that's one of the benchmarks I have. And um, I try to keep thinking, courage has just been a theme in my life. It's a question I ask myself every week, if not every day, you know, how am I gonna show up courageously today and live according to whatever values I deem important. And so that, so that was just like, like you said, like a shocker to everybody, even to me, uh, and lots of ups and downs. But it set me up for a life of a lot of learning. And um, I think it, it continues from there. I love that. There's, there's so much to unpack. You know, you, you know I, I definitely do want to stop at what unschooling actually means, just to make sure that, you know, we, we define it, right? So let, maybe we should start there. Let's start with defining unschooling, and then I'm going to try and unpack some of the really important things that you uh, mentioned. So what does unschooling mean to you? Sure. Um, so to me, it means that uh, it, it denotes a negation of school, but that's actually not the point. The point is that you can learn from anywhere, and if you look at how learning naturally happens for people, it's driven by curiosity. It doesn't follow a timetable. It doesn't fit neatly into boxes. It doesn't mean that you learn only uh, with people your age. And certainly you don't need to give an exam to show that you have learned, right? Learning happens in all of these ways and respecting that is what unschooling is. So typically, uh, again, like because it's the, the label has unschooling in it, it it denotes a sort of negative and opposite, uh, but really uh, it, it means things that a lot, of would, a lot of us would actually agree with, that learning happens in all of these ways. It is lifelong. Uh, it isn't limited to school alone. Um, so, so that's what it is. And every person, every family that adopts a practice of unschooling defines it in their own way. Um, so in many ways, I may not be the typical unschooler because I went to school for so many years. And by then I had picked up certain skills, certain ways of thinking, um, and I just kind of wanted to take a break. You can say that uh, mm -hmm. as well. So it's really something that everyone gets to define for themselves. It's distinct from homeschooling in the sense that homeschooling uh, can really be broken down to, you know, school at home. But right. unschooling is not that. Unschooling is just learning naturally, driven by your curiosity uh, and by the community and the resources around you. So a very sort of iterative, I would say almost like play-based uh, journey that that you drive for yourself and of course people are helping you uh, but you're in no way kind of outside society or outside the world you're in fact you are more in the world uh, than you would be if you were if you were in school alone yeah no that's beautifully put and you know that that's the thing you know society seems to think that you know if you're going to school you're learning and then anything that you do outside of it, it doesn't necessarily fall under you know the the learning umbrella Whereas, you know, with your experience, what I liked was, you know, you tested it as, a, as, a, as an experiment of sorts, you know, like, let me just test it out to see, you know, how this is going to pan out for me. I think just going at it with that mindset and not really having any specific outcomes attached to whether, you know, to, as opposed to schooling, you know, where there's a ton of outcomes, like, you know, you're expected to do X, Y, and Z, you're expected to be just like your classmates, you're expected to, uh, you know, to pass uh, the exam, to be able to move on to the next grade, et cetera, et cetera. But the way that you approach it is, is very playful, uh, I should say. And, and that's really music to my ears because, 
you know, we, you know, at Clever Play, so my, my startup, we believe very strongly in playful learning uh, and we do it for kids. And, you know, it's just amazing, you know, when you look at kids and I'm always surrounded by kids, I have nephews and, you know, my work is primarily with kids. Um, and so when you see them learning, it's just such a beautiful, uh, just a, a beautiful experience because, you know, you try to think like, how can we, how can we replicate that for adults? Uh, you know, how can we be really blissful and in the moment learning and not really stressing about getting it right? Um, and it just, you know, like passing for, you know, like making learning visible that way and, and pretending like, you know, your, your, your certificate makes a difference uh, because apparently, you know, you can land a job with a certificate. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's just amazing to think that there's so much that kids themselves can teach us about natural ways of learning. And, you know, maybe if we were to segue, because I know that, you know, you were at the MIT Playful Lab, and um, I'm sure there's, you know, and I, I love Mitch uh, Resnick, and, you know, I'm very much influenced with everything that he has been doing and, and with, uh, you know, scratch programming, et cetera, and just the way that he looks at education. Um, so, you know, we're very much influenced with that. And, and so maybe if you can talk to us a little bit about your experience there, like how did you... Uh, or let's say even before that, so you know you decided to go back to uh, uni. How did how did that pan out for you? And then how did you find yourself at uh, MIT? Sure. Um, so I did one year of this whole experiment, and I said, okay, I do want to go back to college because mm -hmm. uh, after this, where do I find people? <laughs> Everyone mm -hmm. has their own lives. Uh, there are things that I definitely want to learn, and college would be a good place to learn it, a good way to learn it. Um, so I don't have to reinvent the wheel on my own. Um, and so I applied to universities in the US and UK, uh, but that didn't work out so well uh, because uh, I had no idea how the whole process went. And I was just shooting in the dark with this stuff. And so after six months of going back into that space of exam prep and applications, I was just done with it. And uh, again, this is like uh, this gap year was my father's idea now actually because he said why don't you take some time to actually figure out what you want to do um it's fine because you'd rather think about it a little more carefully and explore before you commit yourself to uh, to a major to a subject to a college a city whatever that might be um long story short i wanted to understand india like i said and um to do that i wanted to be uh, in delhi because uh, i felt like something about the city really really had like multiple Indias in it. Um, you have you have power in Delhi, you have uh, poverty in Delhi, you have culture, you have so much variety over there. And uh, there was a lot going on in terms of education as well. Lots of different experiments going on, lots of great institutions, a lot of amazing people. And something in me just wanted to be part of that whole action. Because I said, I, I don't know anyone there. But I feel like that would be a good place to kind of be in. And um, I knew, I think, from the gap here, from dropping out, that education would be my calling in life. Because uh, there was just, I felt that way then, I feel that way now, that there's just so much to it and there's so much to do. And the consequences are so deep uh, and so far out into the future that I can't imagine investing my life in anything else. Um, and so um, if I wanted to study that, People said, oh, why don't you do a bachelor's in education, which is the degree you do in, in, if you want to teach. But those don't have a very good reputation in India. And besides, I didn't want to teach because I had a problem with the way teaching was done itself. So I said, let's, something my mentor told me once stuck with me. He said, instead of going directly at a problem, sometimes you should try to take the oblique way uh, and explore things that are around it. And then just, just trust that the dots will sort of connect with each other. So I... Uh, opted for a liberal arts uh, college that allowed me to kind of explore different courses. Uh, I started out uh, in the softer end of the social sciences, so sociology, uh, political science, history, and then kind of moved towards the hard end of the social sciences, um, more psychology, um, uh, economics, and math, and some data science. Because I think I really enjoyed the questions that came up in the, uh, from sociology and, uh, and literature. Uh, but I found like methods to answer them lay somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something, something good to kind of like attack these problems with. And right? if you wanted to create 
if we wanted to create foundational literacy across India, what do we need? If I want to study how uh, the impact of programs, what do I need? So for some reason, I opted out for the, opted for these these uh, courses towards the end, and because my university was okay with me changing my mind, uh, essentially, and learning from whatever source I could, uh, you know, there's typically people do courses with their classmates if you're in the same year together, and it's not looked upon. Uh, uh, very nicely if you go do if you go you know study with your juniors but in my third year my final year I realized I wanted to do more maths because my uh, math basics were really weak I didn't do it in 12th grade um, I went to the head of department and I said look like I really want to understand the world in this way I don't want people to bullshit me with numbers uh, and so can I please take classes can I take the first like 101 basic classes and she said you're gonna have to do it with the first years I said that's fine you know, if, as long as you're willing to accept me as a student and uh, I can come to you with questions and I know I'm late, uh, but if, if that's okay with you, I would really love to do it. And she was very supportive. She went on to write me a letter of recommendation later on and I did really badly in my course, uh, but uh, throughout, but right at the end, I think I reached a place where I felt like, okay, there is something in, in, in mathematics that I find really beautiful. And even though I know I'm not gonna do uh, pure math, uh, there's something in here that's really beautiful for me in terms of like looking at the world because numbers are just they are what they are you know they're not there's no room for interpretation uh, and it, it feels like a good tool to kind of go go at the world with um, so that's just one example of the ways in which uh, I think college and all of the other stuff I was doing around it helped me to kind of respond to the world around me and the world inside me to figure out okay what next what am I learning next how does this all tie together and it was just a beautiful experience to see, you know, that potpourri. When I got my transcript at the end of it, I was like, oh my God, like, how do I make sense of all of these different courses? Nothing connects to each other. But I know that for myself, it does. Because uh, lessons from each of these courses, each of these excellent professors and classmates uh, really have given me so much insight into uh, the problems that I know I want to solve later on. So let me have that patience for now to see where it will go on. And let me also... Uh, have some urgency about what I want to do right now uh, and, and things will come together right uh, you don't have to be defined by your transcripts it's about how much work you want to put in how much you want to learn um, so that was college um, alongside I had been interning with a, a consultancy that looks at uh, the impact of educational programs around India and then uh, eventually around the world as well and we weren't looking at literacy and numeracy we were looking at what are uh, called many different things but for our purposes we call them 21st century skills Right, so creativity, problem solving, uh, curiosity, collaboration, leadership, all of these things. And we were looking at different programs around India, uh, looking at the design of them, looking at the implementation of it, and finally looking at the outcomes from these programs to understand what was going on in these programs. Um, and so I would say that the methods of investigating such big uh, questions was just so fascinating to me. Um, this, this whole process. And I did that for a year. We traveled to about 10, 15 states. Uh, so much field work where you get to really go see how learning happens um, in different places. And then you get to come back and sort of take a bird's eye view of what's going on. And with your imperfect tools of, uh, you know, RCTs and case studies, you get to look at what's going on and try to come to some sort of defensible conclusion about what is going on. And if nothing, you come out with good recommendations for the improvement of programs. So this whole exercise was really fascinating uh, for me. And I felt like I wanted to go deeper uh, into this whole, into the whole measurement uh, side of things. And so the best professors in the world uh, are in the US. They were at Harvard and I said, this, this is what I want. Like I want to study with particularly these professors. I applied, got in um, and uh, chose these programs. and again, thrust myself into the deep end of things. I said, you know, I, do, I know I don't have the prerequisites for your statistics courses, but please let me, uh, let me, let me do my prep uh, over the summer. Let me meet you. And then if you feel like I'm not, I won't be able to make use of the course, that's fine. Um, so I think again, like professors and their ability to kind of encourage you to reach out for things that you, you may not on paper be ready for uh, was really helpful to me. And so uh, I, did a kind of deep dive into psychometrics and econometrics to get a sense uh, to go deeper into measurement. Because uh, at that point, I wanted to do a PhD. I was like, you know, there's just so much here and I want to do this. Um, but um, 
I started exploring leadership as as uh, as a course at that point, and we can talk about that later. Uh, but this whole assessment side of things is what uh, what led me to the Playful Journey Lab uh, at MIT. So it uh, so this is different from Mitch Resnick's Lifelong Kindergarten Lab. Um, but the Playful Journey Lab is sort of was sort of uh, built on similar uh, beliefs about what learning should look like, and was more focused on the measurement. Right. Uh, the question with playful learning that a lot of us have is that you just need to look, like you said, to look at how much fun kids are having, how much they learn, how much they imitate each other, experiment, come up with creative solutions that just delight us and surprise us. Uh, but how do you measure that? How do you measure that whole, you know, what all is going on in their minds and their hearts at that point? And so the Playful Journey Lab was, a, uh, was started out as a way of uh, taking on this, this problem of can we measure through playful ways of assessment, can we measure playfulness um, and see if there's something there, right? And I understand if this invites some resistance because playful learning is a sort of reaction to this kind of uh, learning and studying that is driven by measurement, driven by outcomes. Um, but again, like measurement is a method like anything else. And you can see where you wanna apply it, how you wanna apply it and whether it even makes sense after you do it. So I joined as an assessment designer and primarily worked on two projects. One was the uh, one was called Beyond Rubrics, which was a way of looking at you know um, how to measure learning in makerspaces. So we weren't looking uh, we weren't looking exactly at the outcomes of the specific projects that you build, but in the process itself, is there something that we can come up as a way of observing and noting the kind of skills people are showing? the kind of uh, processes that they're adopting. Are they collaborating with others? Are they coming up with creative solutions? Are they being resourceful with what they have? Um, so it was very first principles thinking again on how do we look, uh, can we first of all like name these different things that are going on? Is there a way to measure them uh, over here? Uh, and if not measure, at least collect data on it and see what patterns sort of come up. So that was one project that I was uh, working on. And, and another one was uh, on measuring sort of uh, spatial intelligence through a game on geometry, which looked at how you can uh, create uh, shapes with uh, to match 3D silhouettes. Uh, so it's called Shadowspect. Uh, it's a fun game that everyone should check out. Um, and over there again, we were looking not just at outcomes of how many puzzles you were able to solve, but what in your process shows playful learning? What in your process shows creativity and problem solving? Um, so fascinating questions. I was there for a year and uh, enjoyed my time over there a lot. You know, I'm trying to tie some of the things that you've been talking about. And it seems like a really prevailing theme uh, is that your learning has been very much curiosity driven. And, you know, when you talked about how, like, you know, you were just looking at the transcript and you had like courses from all over and different disciplines, et cetera. It's kind of like you putting together the perfect, you know, curricula, if you will, for yourself, uh, which, you know, when you're going to school, you don't really have the option. I mean, we're very much limited to electives uh, that you can choose for yourself. But other than that, there are like standard, you know, subjects that you're expected to do because it's always been there. Uh, and, you know, and it's very, very rare to find someone like yourself who would say, hold on a minute that might work for the majority of the student population, although it shouldn't. And I'm sure it doesn't. It's just that many of them just go with it because it's, you know, it's what they do, you know, and you were brave enough to be able to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to ask the tough questions. And so I feel like very much your approach to your own learning and your approach to just life in general is very much led by questions and your own curiosities. And then somehow it, you know, it takes you into like this rabbit hole and you, you decide to like, let's discover further. And I think that approach to life is super, super refreshing. So I just want to ask a question here about, you know, an educa your educational philosophy, if you had one, how would you define your educational philosophy or let's say your learning values? And then I wanna go on to, to speak about what you do now. Wow, that is such a great big question. And I don't think I've answered it. Uh, I don't think I've ever tried to put it into words, but I'm gonna just use the urgency that you're giving me right now to try and see if I can put something together. So some elements I really believe in when it comes to learning and education. One is a learner's agency, right? And a human's agency, 
really. And this is not limited to age. It is not limited to socioeconomic background. It is not limited to how well you speak a language or understand things. We all are choice-making machines. Uh, sorry, I won't even use the word machine. That's very limiting. We're all choice-making beings, right? Uh, we choose what uh, we want to pay attention to. We choose what excites us. We choose what we want to run away from. We choose what meaning and value we want to assign to things. And this is a mixture of our environment, our emotions, uh, genetic dispositions. I don't know in what proportion all of these count. Uh, but ultimately, we're all making choices uh, all the time. And I think this, that's both such great freedom and a burden. Right, And because it's a burden, because not everybody wants to make all of the choices on their own, which I totally understand. And there are parts of my life where I'm just okay doing what everyone does, right? because I'm not sitting to dissect everything from first principles uh, and reinventing the wheel. Um, but I think there's a lot to be, just if we can recognize this, right, that we're all choice-making beings. There's a lot that we can design for and question about how learning is done today and how learning can be and should be over here. And it's not easy because if everyone's making choices, then how do you standardize? And standardization is one of the key forces in which, uh, key forces that design, that, that drive the design of education systems, organizations, uh, society, norms, cultures. Uh, they're all driven by some, some, sorry, you're placing some boundary, right? Uh, some moral weightage of what is good and bad, what is feasible and not feasible. Uh, so culture does some of that work for us of making choices, but there's a lot, lot of, I think, unexplored capacity that we have, untapped capacity and finally rejected capacity like that we could all be using to make choices about our own learning. And it's so powerful to recognize this because when you choose to do something, you choose it because you like it, you're likely to stay longer in it, you're likely to see interesting things in it. Uh, you are likely to use it for good, right? And see what, what can be done with this. Uh, so it creates a sort of ownership uh, over here. And it's not just, in, and it's the difference between education as something that you receive, as something that is done to you as a passive being, and learning, which is something that you do because you are curious and you're interested and your emotions are leading you uh, in this direction. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing that, that really makes sense to me. Um, another thing is that rigor is also really important to me. I think when people talk about curiosity-driven learning, playful learning, you chose what you wanted to do, they assume a sort of whimsical arbitrariness, which is like, oh, you'll just stop if you don't care about it. And some people do, right? Because like, why should you? Why should you force yourself to do certain things? Is the philosophy there. I think I fall somewhere in the middle over there. I think there are some things which are really unpleasant, but you should really learn to do. Uh, like doing your taxes, for example, right? or learning a little bit about the culture and the city that you uh, live in currently, wherever you might be. Those things, I'm like, you know, it's it's like, it's just good to do that because we're all kind of uh, we're citizens. We are social beings, and it's it's good to know all of those things to be able to relate with other people. Um, but otherwise, I think no matter what you choose, like choose it because you want to do do like learn something good. Uh, about it, uh, learn it well, develop some sort of skill, define whatever excellence means for you. Uh, and usually uh, in, in every field, you will find a definition of excellence that uh, has already been sort of put out and that you would agree with. So you don't have to like define all of this from first principles. And I say this Latifa because I spend so much time reinventing the wheel on so many things. Right? I'm sharing with you all of the good parts of this whole process. But there were so many times that I was like, this just like, this is not making sense to me. And let me, let me try and like do it from, from scratch again. And I end up in the same place as everybody else. And it's such a waste of time. Um, right. So, so I think rigor is really important. Excellence is really important because somewhere all of us crave being good at something. And so it's not just like, Oh, I'm interested in this. This is, I'm not, you're not just walking around a candy store. Right. But you're, there is something in yourself that is seeking, uh, I think it's purpose autonomy and mastery, three values that I think Daniel Pink talks about. Um, all of us are looking for that. Uh, and whatever that means for you, like be that choice-making being and go after it and take ownership uh, of it. I, I don't know, I, this, this thing, and I think if we can do this, like it gives meaning to people's lives. It gives meaning to culture, it gives meaning to society. And 
yeah, I feel like that's what progress is about. That's what questioning things and moving, uh, moving beyond frontiers is about. And even if you don't do any of those great noble things like being an inventor or whatever it is, you've lived a satisfying life then. So for me, life, I mean, learning is not just like education. Learning is life itself for me. And just the way like, I've approached my education, I approach things like family. I approach things like marriage. I've just gotten married and I have lots of questions about it. And I'm like, lead with the questions. Always lead with the questions. And try to understand like what's going on and what, what might be different. How am I feeling about this? Uh, how am I thinking about this? Learning from lots of different people around it. So I think it's, yeah, this, this bug, right? Of like following your curiosity. It's a one-way street. <laughs> Once you take it, that's it. Like that, you're, you're, you're committed for life, I think. I think curiosity is a superpower. So you're good. And thank you for your transparency. and Congratulations on, you know, on your marriage. Um, if we were to segue to talk a little bit, you know, fast forward to your current work, you're doing a lot of awesome work in uh, leadership and leadership coaching. So talk to us a little bit about that. And also, if I were to throw in another question here, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, leadership is you know, a, a trait that can be practiced. So share with us, like, because a lot of our listeners are youth. Um, so they're either just, you know, into college or, you know, uh, young graduates or young professionals. So how can they develop their own leadership skills? Because as you rightly pointed out, like these are skills that they, can, they themselves can practice and get better at. So where do you stand on that? And how is your current leadership coaching um, going? Sure. So, um, like I said, I, I went in with this ambition to like do a PhD and understand measurement and become a scholar and all of that. But I kind of accidentally took a class with Marshall Gans, who is uh, a senior lecturer at the Harvard Kennedy School. And somebody who really lives out the values and practice of leadership that he teaches in his classroom. So uh, he, he dropped out of Harvard to go do some work in... Uh, in the civil rights movement in the 60s in the US, uh, stayed out there doing things, organizing uh, for 25 years, and then came back to sort of reflect on his experience and put that together into what he saw as integral to social movements, uh, leadership, and community organizing. Uh, and so this man who is like, who has learned by doing, who's the ultimate definition of learning by doing. Uh, I took his class, I was totally hooked. And the first class that I took with him was called Public Narrative. It is the art of, um, it is the art of communicating your values, your community's values, and how to call on people to take action to realize those values in a tangible form. Um, so in all that he had seen, he saw that storytelling was a, very integral part of what made people assign meaning to their lives, bring people together and motivate to action. And so uh, he turned that into a course over, over many years. And I was very lucky to be part of, I don't know, the 12th cohort of that course. And I was completely hooked. I said like, this makes so much sense because if it, it was a space for me to reflect on my journey as well, because uh, the class, again, like exemplifies learning by doing. You don't learn about the principles of storytelling. You write your own story. You tell your own story. And you tell the story of when you were called to leadership. And it's important here to distinguish between all the definitions of leadership and what he defines leadership as. Um, so he says leadership is accepting responsibility uh, for achieving shared purpose under conditions of uncertainty. And seen, at a, seen, seen this way, leadership is a practice. It's not a position. It is not a trait. It is not the same as authority. And if we look around ourselves, we can see so many people who without being told, without being given a, a formal position are leaders because they have accepted responsibility to achieve some sort of shared purpose over there. Family is leadership. Family is the ultimate form of leadership, right? Community, religion, faith, governments, social movements, cultural movements. Someone in all of these places is just accepting that responsibility, right? And just owning it. And if you see, it's not that different from the sort of learning that we were talking about earlier, right? It's, it's curiosity led. It is driven by your values. And you're not doing it alone. You're bringing a lot of people together with you to do it. And it's, it's, it's going somewhere. 
right? So um, I started sort of doing this course with him and a part of, uh, I was not just like writing my own stories, but uh, coaching each other in the class was a part of the pedagogy as well. And so um, I think one day I was coaching somebody and asking them, you know, when in your childhood did you first sort of do this thing? Just like the question that you asked me. And uh, we finished class. I was walking outside, just parking my bike. And he comes and he was like, that was a really good question that you asked and really got them to the, to the meat of, you know, what they were really, uh, what they were about and who they were about. Because when you get people to start writing and telling their stories, it's like, oh, you know, it just happened to me. Uh, oh, like, you know, I just happened to go to the school, my parents, this and that, right? But it misses out the integral component of your agency. When did you start making these choices? When did you start seeing these values, right? So leadership is very personal in that sense. It's about your, your early values. It is about your emotions uh, and, and communicating that in a way that people can relate to you uh, in. And so I started coaching with him and uh, he recruited me to kind of teach workshops uh, and uh, then a full length course on it. And the whole process is just so delightful to be able to draw out people's stories and make them see that, you know, the challenges that you've overcome are not trivial. And I'm not saying that you had the most difficult life in the world, right? There's no competition here, but for the values that you hold, you stood up for them. You saw them challenged. You made choices to pursue them. And now you're doing it with a lot of people. You're calling people together to do this. And that's what a leader is. And so, I mean, to, for anyone listening to this uh, later on, look around yourself. You know, what is it? What is the, what is the unique way in which you think the world is really screwed up? Right? And what do you want to take responsibility for? And no one hears promising outcomes. Uh, but what we're saying is like come into some process of taking responsibility and moving towards a sort of purpose, not on your own with people. Uh, because at the very least, it will teach you a lot about yourself. And that is the most precious learning that you can have. Uh, and so there's another course that he teaches called community organizing. Uh, he recruited me to teach that as well. And that was, that was where I kind of really stumbled into teaching after resisting it for so long. And uh, I was terrible. Like I was a terrible, terrible teaching fellow uh, for the first few months because I thought I had to control the whole process. It was about the outcomes and why the paper is not so good. And then I realized like, oh, I'm, I'm getting stuck in the same patterns that I wanted to break free from. So I'm going to walk in after this midterm review where I saw and had a chance to reflect on these things. I'm going to walk in a class again on Tuesday. And I'm going to be a human, first of all. I'm not going to play this role and try to be this perfect teacher, trying to make up for like being a small girl and all of that stuff where, because all my students were like double my age and I was feeling a lot of anxiety around that. I said, forget all of that, right? I accept that this is my role. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to do the best that I can. And my only job is to get people to learn, right? It's not about completing papers. It is not about having some perfect campaign. It's really about helping them learn and see in themselves, what are their leadership capacities? How is that playing out uh, with, with their teams? And how does that play out for their campaigns? So these three themes are sort of story, strategy, and action. You can see that coming through in both of these courses, uh, which is why I have been hooked to it and continue to teach it. Um, we've been able to teach it online uh, as well as if not better than we were able to do it in person. And so it's a great way to kind of be connected with my community at Harvard, but also carry that practice, those practices of coaching, teaching, learning by doing into all of the work that I do now. I love that very much. You know, I, I, re I read a lot of leadership books over the years, but I think that definition, and you might've seen me like, you know, writing <laughs> it down because I just felt like it's, it's, it's extremely personal, um, you know, and, and like you said, you know, I very much believe in the same way that anyone can own up and be a leader. Um, and it's not based on, you know, your title, your rank or whatever it is. So um, I think that that was a, a definitely a definition that resonated. And I'm curious to hear from you. What's the most important leadership lesson that you've learned? Oh, boy. Um... So I think when I was doing my gap year, uh, my sort of capstone project, one thing that I invested a lot of time in was creating a TEDx youth event. And so I think these were early days of TEDx events and like, you know, there were different formats for different uh, events that you wanted to do. 
I started watching a lot of these talks and somewhere I saw that, oh, I could host my own. And I thought, okay, I know I'm doing this whole like radical dropping out thing, but I'm not doing it because like, I think school is bad or anything like that. But I think there's just like so many other interesting ways of learning. So why don't I host an event, uh, get some speakers to um, kind of uh, expose my friends to this, right? So sort of, uh, sort of, uh, what do I, what do I call it? Uh, savior complex, a little bit of that. So that was my first. Uh, so this is the first red flag, and the second thing is I, I did the whole thing on my own. I was bad at asking for help. Eventually, everyone did help, but I can see that you know I, I was doing what we call a little bit of island leadership, where it's just you in the middle, everyone comes to you, and sometimes that's important, but. Leadership is about like working with people, right? Not just telling them what to do, which is why, which is why it's different from authority. Um, so we did the event, it was good. It was a success. A uh, hundred people came, a lot of my friends. Uh, one journalist had come and she wrote the next day in the papers about, uh, she profiled all of the speakers and she wrote a little bit about me. And she said, oh, you know, young Aditi, so impressionable. She saw a video that she could organize an event. So she just like, followed that and did it. And I was like, oh my God, how can you, how can you reduce me to something like that? Uh, and we had given these sort of gift bags to people, which were cloth bags as a way of encouraging people not to use plastic bags. But I just, in a few days, I saw them all sort of kept away in people's houses as a, as a gift rather than as something to use. And I think that was the day I realized that one, um, you can't do things all on your own. You have to do it with people. Another thing I realized is that one day of something is never going to change people's lives. Learning, teaching, changing the world, these are all long-term games. And if you're not willing to do that, don't do it, right? And finally, I learned how integral, like being authentic and being represented authentically was important to me. Right? And this is where story comes in. Right? That was not my story. I did not look at a YouTube video and just say, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. If only it was that easy. Right? I knew what I had to do to sort of get these things going, raise funds, sell tickets, uh, almost you know, once crying to people being like, hey, you, know, you will really enjoy this. Take a break from your studies and come. Like, just open your mind up a little bit. Right? And that, that whole a check on the whole savior complex that I had going on, that I have to save other people. I think a lot of that melted away. And one of my, my dance teacher and her mom took me out for lunch after this whole uh, event. And they could see I was not happy. Everyone was calling me to congratulate me, but they know that this meant something very different to me. And so that separation of recognition versus what you think counts as a success was another lesson that I learned. So I think in just one event, I learned a lot of these things. And I, even now I reflect back on them and think there are many, many lessons to carry over now. If I start an organization, if I if I work with people, if I want to organize something, there has to be a match between your goals, your expectations, managing yourself, your emotions around things. Um, really, really important to leadership. It's, it's, it's not about what the thing is itself. Right? It's about all of these things. And um, yeah, so I think that was, uh, I haven't thought about this for a long time, but <laughs> your question just brought it up for me because I think uh, it just reflects a lot of, things that I've seen later on as well. That's that's the beauty of reflection, you know, because sometimes, you know, with like in the moment, you don't necessarily uh, digest all of this. And then, you know, it's only when you look back and you take time to reflect that you realize that, okay, okay actually, like there's a lot of learning and that, that actually happened. And uh, it's, it's just really interesting to hear, you know, uh, you reflecting on it many, many years now and where you stand today. Um, I'm going to ask you a quick question about, you know, if you if you had a specific superpower, what would that be? And then I want you to share some advice with the youth out there. Uh, like I said, primarily youth listening in right now. And the advice that I'd like you to share is related to youth taking ownership of their learning. What advice can you give them specifically on that? And, you know, if you had a superpower, what, what would that be? Or, or, or is curiosity yours? <laughs> I think my superpower, superpower I really want and I want more of is empathy. 
because mm. I think I have enough of it to feel like it's important and that it is very helpful to everything that you do. Empathy for yourself, empathy for other people, uh, where they are coming from, where they want to go, right? Because a lot of the learning that we've talked about is very messy. Yeah. And if you don't have empathy and you're trying to control things, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so for any anything that involves working with people, empathy, empathy, empathy. So I really wish I, I hope to develop more of that. And advice, oh, I don't like giving advice. I, I like pe- telling people stories and hope that they take something away from it that they relate to. But I think if, if I want to say one thing is that like, one, be ambitious, whatever that means to you, right? If that means like scoring marks, then own that and work towards it. If that means questioning things, own that and work towards it. If that means I'm going to do so many different kinds of things, that's fine. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it, right? Build trust, build consensus, but like go, go and experiment with these things because all these beliefs we hold about ourselves are all very, very malleable. They're like clay. We are like clay. And it takes, it takes one experiment, one mentor, one new book, uh, one new video, trying out one new thing, building and learning in public for you to change your beliefs about what you think you can do. And don't let a school system tell you otherwise. Don't let your parents tell you otherwise. <laughs> don't let anything tell you otherwise. Right? And the other thing is, you don't have to be one thing. You can and you are a lot of things. That's just the beauty of what it means to be human. And sometimes you focus a little bit more on one thing, sometimes a little bit more on the other. But as long as you are driven by curiosity, your values are in the right place, your heart is in the right place, and you can at the end of the day sleep peacefully. This is something my husband says a lot, and I really admire it. At the end of the day, you can sleep peacefully because you know you've done the right thing both in terms of like morally the right thing, but also right in terms of like, okay, this feels right to me about how I want to live and how I want to grow and how we want to grow together. Oh, fine. And, and if there is discomfort in this process, know that it is for a reason. It will be discomfort. It will be uncomfortable for some time before you can look back and say, oh, I did that. I can do anything. I love that. And like you said, growth is extremely uncomfortable. It's, you know, it's ridiculous because everyone wants to grow in some capacity, personally, professionally, but with growth, there's a lot of, you know, uh, discomfort that you, you'll have to put yourself out of your comfort zone. And that's, you know, it's only then that you will be able to, to grow. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead. That's one thing to know about me. Uh, I cry a lot. I cry a lot when I'm growing a lot because it is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you're constantly, when, when you're learning, setting out on some new challenge, on some new story you're telling yourself, on some new relationship or community, it's extremely hard because you have to change how you think about all of it. And like all my colleagues, my entire family knows this about me that I seek these things, but I have a really tough time at the beginning but there's so much good stuff at the other end of it. So like, yeah, I used to feel really bad about this. And I don't know if there are other people, especially girls. If you feel bad about crying, like, please don't, <laughs> it's fine. It means that you're feeling something. Yeah. And, and you can listen to that. Uh, you don't have to sort of give up because just because like, you're crying or something like that, but you can keep going. And even if you're, uh, there's, this, there's this quote that really resonates with me, speak up, even if your voice quivers. And my voice quivers all the time when I'm like asking for something that I really care about or I'm like pursuing something hard. It's okay. It's, it's fine. You'll, you'll sleep, you'll wake up, it'll be fine tomorrow morning. Man, that really resonated with me. You know, <laughs> I started this company with absolutely no background whatsoever uh, in business or even education when I first joined. Like similar to you, I took the liberal arts and did politics and international relations with the hope of changing the world. That was my ambition, um, you know, to, to get into diplomacy and change the world through the UN. And over the years, I got frustrated because everything that I was learning about, you know, in the university unfortunately, is not translating in the real world. Um, and, you know, eventually, I, and again, like, I didn't know at that point, like, I was just really focused on getting into diplomacy. And then, you know, Steve Jobs said it best, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. I realized that 
my calling, you know, crazily has always been education, but it was disguised under, you know, politics and translations and, and things of that nature and, and service. And, uh, you know, just looking back, it was like, whoa, like I, had, I didn't even know that. Like, it, you know, I just similar to you experimented in different things, but, you know, talking about how growth is painful. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, sometimes I, I don't even want to know, like I, you don't even want to know what I do with myself knowing that, you know, there, there are specific things that you have to just do in business and it's tough um, to be able to, you know, like our first year has been, was, was really tough. And again, like I said, not having the background and just trying to figure it out as I went uh, along day by day. Um, but like you said, you know, you have bad days and then you wake up the next morning and you're like, all right, game face on. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my God, I'm doing this again. Uh, you know, but looking back now, three years in, I can, I can say for myself that I have grown. And I think, you know, for, for, for self-driven learners like ourselves, you know, there's so much satisfaction in saying that, you know what, like, this is where I was, and this is where I am today. I don't need a degree to come and tell me what I learned in three years of building a business. No, I don't. I know for myself, because I can see myself, my language, the way that I conduct myself, everything about it has changed. And so that is, I think, true learning is when you own up and say, you know what, like, I want to do something, I know it's hard, but I know that I'm going to learn so much in the process. I mean, no, you know, my university degrees, my schooling, unfortunately, did not prepare me for starting a company um, because it's, you know, when you're in there, <laughs> you're in there. There's there's no one to call for. Like, <laughs> there's no help. <laughs> this is what resilience is. This is, I don't want to say the price that you pay, but this is part of the process. Exactly. To be led by your curiosity, to be led by wanting to take responsibility, to be led by wanting to change the way in whatever unique way you think it sucks yeah I usually you know we can go on and on and on I absolutely love your story and I, I'm definitely connecting uh with you after this but I usually end the podcast with um you know I'm a big advocate for STEM and STEAM specifically uh, again liberal arts here uh STEAM education um and I usually ask, you know, my, my, my guests if they had a specific mission in STEM. But for you, I would say if you had a specific mission, and I know you are, you have, it's very, you know, your passion is, is, is right there. I can almost feel it. Uh, you know, if you had a mission in education, what would that be? And what are you most excited about, about the future? I've had a chance to articulate this, so I will give you a ready answer for it. <laughs> Uh, I think my mission is to see more learning that is driven by curiosity and supported by community. Uh, we've talked a lot about curiosity. Uh, we've touched a little bit on community. I just don't think people should feel alone in this. Mm -hmm. It is a very personal journey. No one's going to have it quite like you do. But people around you can really help. And you can be helpful to people. Like we, People are the most untapped resources. Like... I know this technology and capital and all of that stuff, but people, people, people above all else. Um, so that's, yeah, I would say that is my mission. I forgot your uh, other question. I think, yeah. What are you excited about, about the future, future of learning? Um, I'll be very honest. I'm very excited about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we connected. Yes. Um, we are speaking and I already feel like there is so much that is resonating from the little that you shared I'm very curious to know more about your story and look all the stuff that we're talking about right like learning leadership story um the ability to sort of do this and inhibit it and find and define new ways of ourselves online is something I'm so excited about because often you just feel so confined if, if it's just your physical environment and if it's just the people around you. They may be the most well-intentioned people. They are the people who bring you up. I understand that. I have massive respect for it. There's just so much more in the world out there too that you can combine with each other and come up with different and interesting ways of you know, doing things in the world, building things, just, you know, playing with things. It's just so exciting. And I don't think we've touched even the beginning of it. Uh, and so in that sense, I've been excited about how 
people have opened their mind up to what counts as learning mm-hmm. during covid because yeah. suddenly you take away school you take away routine you take away timetable is learning still going on what counts as learning what doesn't what is valuable i mean every day i have cousins who call up and tell me like what is the point of this this thing that we're doing like school is totally useless i would rather do xyz or i would even if i have to learn the same thing i would rather do it in this way and so i'm excited by that resistance <laughs> i'm very excited to see what what can come out of taking away structures that we see that we deemed so necessary in society and they're not going anywhere schools are not going anywhere we're going to return as soon as we can to them but i think there's something in here that has changed for people and has changed for young people a sort of impatience a sort of you know opening up and a sort of dreaming of possibilities um and i know it's it's alongside a lot of difficulties from this year difficulties of not being able to see people that you like difficulties of not being able to explore uh, maybe unsafe homes maybe not having access to the privileges and uh, resources that you would have had otherwise it's it's alongside that but i think when we're faced with such a crisis that's when you begin to see like a lot of creativity and we're seeing that definitely in 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 the space of like online communities uh, learning organizations edtech startups all of that but i think even wider than that people are redefining what it means to be a person if i know that's really vague but yeah it's just it's possibilities in every direction and i'm i'm just so excited about it playing with possibilities like we say i love it i love it thank you so much for making the time i really 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 enjoyed this absolutely phenomenal thank you so much for the amazing questions for for relating resonating and sort of bringing that out for me it is it is a real gift thank you that's all from this episode if you enjoyed it be sure to tune in again next week with more stem inspiration until then take care